0: You know, Rob, it's it's about four years ago. We're getting up to uh getting close to the four-year anniversary, I think, of when that first Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Kevin Hart, Jack Black, Karen Gillum had their Jumanji movie come out. And it was one of those movies that just was a absolute pleasant surprise. Mm. Like just, I mean. Honestly, I I thought it was just a play on a known IP and let's do another Jumanji and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, you go in and you watched it and I smiled and laughed and and was just charmed the whole way through. You know, uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Kevin Smith, they they just all did such a great job in the movie, like playing the younger versions of themselves and everything. It was just a lot of fun and it was great. And it was a massive box office hit. If i remember correctly, it didn't quite join the billion dollar club, but i think it went north of 900 million if i'm not mistaken. So i'm sure you guys in the live chat can correct me if i'm wrong about that. So then out came out the second one. Now the second one wasn't quite as good in my opinion, but it was still very entertaining. Yeah. The addition of Aquafina to it was really good and now you had Dwayne Johnson and uh, Kevin Hart imitating Danny DeVito and Danny Glover, which I thought was incredibly funny. I thought that worked extremely well. And it, again, not as good as the first one, but still a very, very worthy, entertaining, enjoyable film that, uh, that I really did like going to see. And by the way, our friends, uh, John Sylvie and Jamie cool, send in super chat badges in the live chat. Thank you guys. I, I just thought it worked really well. Now, Again, the second one I don't think made quite as much at the box office as the first one, but it was still a smash success. So we knew it was kind of inevitable that they would probably do another one, but we haven't heard anything about it in a while. That is, until now. Now, Dwayne uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson's producing partner just came out, and he was asked directly about what is happening with Jumanji 4. Is that still ongoing? And this is what he said. And his name, by the way, is Hiram Garcia. And he said the following. Uh, That's also in the hopper. We've very we're very focused on delivering the best version of that story, a new Jumanji. Obviously, when you're fortunate enough to bring a team back together for the third time, you want to knock it out of the park. It's important for us to deliver something big for the fans while still expanding on our Jumanji story. So we are drilling down deep and collaborating closely with our writers, director Jake Kasdan, who, if I'm not mistaken, is the son of you know uh, iconic screenwriter John John Kasdan and producing partner on this, Matt Tomek. So they are still moving forward with this, Rob. They're still developing it, even though it's all been quiet, and obviously a lot's been quiet due to the pandemic and all that sort of stuff as well. But they are still seem to be very keenly focused on this. Now, it grows more challenging because Dwayne The Rock Johnson's star continues to rise. Karen is now a legitimate star in her own right. Uh, Jack Black, Kevin Smith always were too. So it's going to be a little bit more challenging and probably more expensive to make another one. Listen, even though the second one I felt was a step down from the first one, like I said, I still really enjoyed it. Yeah, and it was I still respectable. Th- yeah, I think there's still a lot of magic here that can be weaved in a, the Jumanji universe. So I'll tell you what, I am still down for this, and I'm really not surprised that they're still moving forward. Rob, you hear about this. Are you surprised they're still doing another one? Do you think they even should do another one? What are your thoughts on this right now?
1: Well, like you, I mean, while the the second ver- iteration of this Dwayne Johnson franchise, let's call it Dwayne Johnson Kevin Hart franchise, it was still good. It wasn't horrible. You know, it was fun, it was enjoyable. They had a new wrinkle with the Danny DeVito Danny Glover uh a- addition to it all. That was that was kind of a fun nude wrinkle. And uh definitely why not make a third one? You know, there's something I think there's something quite good when you have a, a a solid trilogy. You know, even if even if you end up with an Oceans 12 or a Jurassic Park the Lost World, yeah, if it's if it's respectable, why not make a third one? You know, seems yeah. nice, round it out. Round it out, make it good.
0: Yeah, so I kind of like the idea. The question is for you guys. What do you think about this? It's been quiet on the Jumanji front for a while, but they say they are still hard at work at it. Do you think they should even do another one? Have you even liked the original two? Whatever you guys are thinking, jump on down into the comment section below and leave us your thoughts. All right, guys. And by the way, our friend Marie Seifring sends in a Super Chat badge in the live chat as well. Thank you, Marie. As does Black Olada. Thank you, guys. Appreciate that. All right. With that down, guys, let's move on to our main topics today. And how do we select our main topics here on The John Campion Show? Well, it's really simple. You see, you guys come up with our main topics. Whenever you come across a big topic issue or story that you feel we need to cover as a main topic here on the show, just go anytime, 24-7, over to slash contact once you guys get there you're going to see a form fill it out with your topic or question it's totally free hit submit and then maybe just maybe you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the john campia show with that down let's get into main topic number one and our first main topic today gets submitted to us by joseph mccray who writes hey john Godzilla vs. Kong writer Max Bornstein talked about the MonsterVerse and many projects are on the way. He also teased that uh, some may not have humans in them, just monsters. What are your thoughts? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, Joseph. And yeah, listen, the MonsterVerse... Movies, you know, whether it's it's Godzilla, it's Kong, Godzilla versus Kong, Godzilla King of the Monsters, all that kind of stuff. The Monster Verse has been a real point of excitement for a lot of film fans. Cause while they have not all done like none of them have been a billion-dollar film, but you know, we all still have a soft spot in our hearts for these big monster movies. We love getting excited about them, we love going to see them. Sometimes we love watching them, sometimes not so much. Like the last couple, I was not a big fan of King of the Monsters, but I had a very, very good, even though it was kind of ridiculous time watching Godzilla vs. Kong. That one was really fun to me. But the question started going around, you know, when Godzilla King of the Monsters Rob came out, it was a disappointment at the box office. You know, some people liked it, some people didn't. But overall, it was a little bit of a disappointment at the box office. So much so that a lot of us theorized that if they weren't already, because you got to remember, when, when Godzilla King of the Monsters came out, they were already making Godzilla versus Kong. And a lot of us believe, and I completely think it's true, that Godzilla King of the Monsters did bad enough that if Godzilla versus Kong hadn't already been in production, I think they would have pulled the plug on it. I think they they straight up would have canceled Godzilla versus Kong, but they were already making it. They were already spending the money. And then Godzilla versus Kong comes out like the first real big film that came out in the in the pandemic or the post-pandemic era, even though we're not really post-pandemic, but and it did extremely well given the circumstances. It did extremely well. So it kind of refired a passion for them to kind of go back and look at the idea of doing another one. Well, Apparently, they were very serious about it. This comes to us from the folks over at, uh, from Max Bornstein, who again wrote the script for Godzilla vs. Kong. He wrote the following. I've heard some exciting things that are happening that I can't divulge. They have a great handle on things there, and I certainly have thoughts, and I'm always excited when I get involved in them. I think it's in good hands, and with the success of Godzilla vs. Kong, there will be some new interesting installments coming. Without being able to say any of that officially, you can look at all the facts uh, that the film performed and people really responded to it. I think it was really wonderful timing for people to have that towards the end of that surge in the pandemic. People really felt eager to see something that was fun and joyful in the cinema. And it was really exciting to have our movie be that movie. And you know, Rob, I, I agree with them. I think this was, this was a perfectly timed movie. Because we were on the downslide of the pandemic at the time. We were coming out of the big surge. People were excited to go back. And this was the kind of movie that you really... This, nobody, uh, one or two others. But this was the kind of movie you just wanted to go back and see on the big screen again. And while, you know, I think there were a lot of problems with Godzilla versus Kong, it overall was just a damn fun time for me. And the success showed it. And I think, Rob, correct me if you think I'm wrong... But I think it totally made them change directions in their thinking, because I I think before this came out, they really thought Godzilla versus Kong is the last of the MonsterVerse movies. But the success of that movie, you, we always say, Rob, winning cures everything. The success of that movie clearly changed the script. Rob, the screenwriter's now saying, yep, they've got more plans for more MonsterVerse movies. Do you think they actually will go through and make more of them? And if so, do you think that's a good or bad idea? What do you think?
1: Well, you know, I've, I've loved kaiju movies my whole life and while i wasn't the biggest fan of 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 kong versus or godzilla versus kong only because i thought it's so funny for me to say this but i i wasn't a big fan of the movie's plot (laughs) but but there's some great sequences i mean that battle at sea is a definitely a showstopper and i do have the 3d blu-ray and it's quite tasty i might add so i look the more monster movies we get the better off i think life in general on this planet is bring on more of these creatures bring on more monsters and as long as they stay fun and they're interesting i mean what i'm hoping for john is aliens because godzilla versus the astro monster which is known here as godzilla versus monster 0 we learn that there's planet x and there's hot japanese alien girls in lycra silver and black lycra spandex with cool sunglasses what's not to love they fly saucers they borrow godzilla and rodan i mean what more do you want and i'm hoping they go in that direction because we need aliens john it's time (laughs) we need aliens in our kaiju films um and i i think it's great i want more bring it on make more the thing too i mean on the aliens
0: angle for a second though what much else where else can they go really i mean they've already done the oh we found a giant kaiju sleeping under a mountain okay well we've done that a few times now so like there really isn't much else to go i mean if they're going to make more of them i think it just kind of makes sense at some point they've got to bring an alien aspect into this i mean that seems to be the way to go. the question is for you guys what do you think about this? They are now saying that, yeah, man, they have plans. They are going to be doing more MonsterVerse movies. How do you guys feel about that? Jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. Uh, and by the way, Matt's Channel N sends in a Super Chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate that, man. All right. Let's now move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by... Sadie Moffat, who writes, Hey, John, I just wanted to say that I love the show and have been watching for three years this week. Well, th- well, apparently you've been watching since Rob started on my show, so there you go. <laughs> I just want to say I've been watching for three years this week. Anyway, I absolutely love Suicide Squad. James Gunn and the whole cast delivered a great movie. Now, I'm not saying that I change anything, but I read a story where Gunn said that he originally started writing it as the Suicide Squad versus Superman. Now, that's all I can think about. Do you think the movie would have been even better if the Suicide Squad was going after Superman? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yeah, listen, you've heard us talk about Suicide Squad a bunch the last couple of weeks. This movie is fucking fantastic. This movie's unbelievably good. It, it It's still not my favorite DCU movie. That still belongs to Zack Snyder's Man of Steel. But I think... It surpassed, you You know how much I love Shazam, Rob. I love that movie more than most people. But it actually surpasses Shazam. I love the first Wonder Woman. It passed Wonder Woman. Aquaman, Justice League, either version. Batman versus Superman. I think Suicide Squad is the second best DCU movie uh, ever made. I Just a damn fun time at the theater. What's really interesting is one thing that people pulled out a lot of the first trailer is when you hear Amanda Waller saying, this is Dead Sport. He's in here for uh, for hospitalizing, putting Superman in the ICU with a kryptonite bullet. That got a lot of people talking. Well, apparently, that little reference was really just a carryover from an earlier idea that James Gunn had for doing Suicide Squad, the movie. Uh, this comes to us uh, from... Oop, and I don't have the graphic lined up here. Anyway, at any rate, what he basically ends up saying is what James Gunn says is he says this. He goes, when I started watching the suicide squad, one idea was that they would fight Superman. The suicide squad has to catch Superman for some reason. Uh, That was all just a a vague idea. It's gotten out of hand or is being controlled by someone. And then this group of lousy supervillains has to face the most powerful hero in the world. And that was uh, an interview with James Gunn talking about that. And again, Rob, I don't know what came first. I don't know because we see that Suicide Squad game that's coming that's got yep. Suicide Squad versus Superman. So I don't know if that idea came first or if James Gunn actually had this idea first and then it kind of spread to the video game, what whatever. But the notion of the Suicide Squad having to try to fight Superman is hilarious to me. Now, of course, uh, this would be a very one-sided fight. Now, you can make the argument, of course, that, hey, man, Batman's just a regular human being and he beats Superman. Uh, true, but he's Batman. Anything short of Jesus, Batman usually wins because he's Batman. But I mean, I don't know what chance a Suicide Squad would have of that, but it would be infinitely hilarious. But look, at the end of the day, I'm like you, Sadie. I thought that this movie was not, almost perfect just as it was, but I would be so down If Warner Brothers announced, Rob, that, okay, despite box office results, which we will talk about in the next topic, but despite box office results, we're going to, I mean, the audience love this movie so much. We're going to do another one because by then they're going to be under discovery and maybe the the CEO of discovery is going to be like, yep, let's do another one. And this time, James, come on back, run with your Superman idea. I would be completely down with it. I'm glad they didn't do it in this one, but I personally would have been completely down for it. Rob, you hear that James Gunn kind of originally had this idea for a Suicide Squad of them fighting Superman. Do you think that's an avenue they should have pursued? Do you think it's something they could do later on? Do you think it was a good idea that they change directions for this current movie? What are your thoughts when you hear about this?
1: I, I tend to think that it was a good idea not to pursue a storyline with Superman because I think Superman would overshadow the Suicide Squad itself. And it would have been, I think, as moviegoers, we would have been given more of the Suicide Squad in the movie than we got of Superman. And I think people would have said, I wish we could see more of Superman. But maybe also you run into the same problem that you run into with every Superman story, which is how could these villains possibly, like King Shark, would choke on Superman? You couldn't bite. He couldn't bite Superman in half. What's King (laughs) Shark going to do? You know, and I, I do think that Superman's still overpowered. I mean, you know. Uh, uh, one one kryptonite bullet fired from a long way away that Superman wasn't aware of, and you get lucky, okay. But what does the rest of the squad do then? Uh, so I think it's probably best they didn't go down that route. However, I do like the idea of it. I would like to have seen that story play out somewhere, so maybe that's what they could do. Well, we'll talk about it later if there will ever be another sequel to Suicide Squad, but, I mean, it's something that's definitely intriguing to me.
0: I love the way James Gunn phrased it, though, when he said, because it's not just this hardcore suicide squad fighting Superman. No, it was it's Superman, the mightiest being in the universe, fighting a lousy group of supervillains. There's just <laughs> there's something inherently comedic about that that could really work well. Again, I don't know how they would go. By the way, can I bring up this graphic one more time? Ray did, Ray made such, I love this graphic that Ray made. I don't know. I just think everything about this graphic is so good. That makes me want to see the movie even more. Anyway, I I think that notion about portraying them as like the worst supervillains trying to take on Superman. There's something incredibly funny about that. And if it means, you know, we all know James Gunn really likes Henry Cavill as Superman. It would have meant more Henry Cavill as Superman, which is also a good thing. But I don't know. The question is for you guys. What do you think about this? Hearing that James Gunn's like original idea for Suicide Squad was to have Superman be their foil and they were going to have to fight Superman. I think there's a lot of potential there from that. Maybe they'll do it in the future. Who knows? Question is, what do you guys think about that? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number three. And our third main topic today Gets submitted to us by Thomas Patterson. And Thomas writes: I, like too few others, went to go see the Suicide Squad this weekend. I loved it. I was shocked to see that it only made 26.5 million on its opening. That after Jungle Cruise posted 35 million last weekend, despite poorer reviews. It even had a decent hold this weekend. Is this because of HBO Max, unlike Disney Plus is offering the film for free past subscription costs, it's, it's got to be more than the pandemic, right? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yeah, listen, Rob, I remember a week or two ago, we were talking about Suicide Squad. And somebody asked, how much do I think it's going to make opening weekend? Like $50 million, $60 million, some people were saying. And I said, look, as great, because I had already seen the movie. I said, as great as this movie is, and it's great. The reality is it's going to fall in the $25 to $35 million range, probably $30, $31 million, something around that. I can't remember exactly what I said. You guys can go back and check the video, but it was somewhere in that neighborhood. And the movie is absolutely magnificent. It's absolutely magnificent. Such a fun time. I mean, all film is subjective, so it's not going to be for everybody. Not No film is. So there are going to be people who watch it and legitimately don't, don't enjoy it as much, and that's cool. I thought it was bloody fantastic. Anyway, the reality is it came out right around where we expected, about five, about uh, $26.5 million is what it made at the box office. For a movie that cost $180 million to make, there's no sugarcoating this, Rob. That's a disaster. There's no sugarcoating it. It is an absolute disaster for them that this movie came out. Now, look, again, some people thought it would make, you know, some projections said, oh, it's probably make around 30 to 40. But a lot of people ignored that because they heard the movie was so great or they saw the early uh, fan screenings of it and said, this movie's fantastic. It's going to make 60 million, it's going to make 70 million. And, and rightfully, that's what this movie deserved. But it did not do all that well. It did terribly. Now, I'm sure it did better if than if the movie had been terrible. If the movie had been terrible, it probably would have made $15 million opening weekend. So it probably did roughly double the business because of how good it is. But it does raise a question about why did that movie not do so well? Now, Rob, last week, I ran down a list of why I didn't think... Suicide Squad was going to do very well at the box office. I, I ran down a list. I said, here's why. I am only think it's going to make around 30. It's be the, 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 the. I want to revisit that list and add a couple of more. Because the question a lot of people are asking today, understandably so, is why the Suicide Squad flopped? Why did it flop? And it's more than one reason. It's a collection of reasons. The first one we're going to talk about here is this. Number one, uh, the pandemic. Look, the reality is, while more than half the people in the country are now vaccinated, the fact of the matter is, with the Delta variant, there's a new resurgence of it, and it's been climbing again, and people have been concerned. Now, obviously, every movie that's come out would have done better had it not been for the pandemic. Like, even though, you know, Fast 9 has done very good business, despite being a terrible movie, but Fast 9 did very, very good business. Everybody knows if it wasn't for the fact that we were in the pandemic era, it would have done better. Quiet Place 2 did very, very well for itself. But everybody knows if it wasn't for the pandemic, it would have done better. Godzilla vs. Kong did great. It would have done better. So we knew that this was going to be one of the things of it. By the way, new report just came out from, uh, uh, I can't remember the name of the the. The hospital organization down in Florida, they just put out, they're saying their average COVID cases in their hospitals is 179 patients right now per hospital. And they're saying out of that 179, like eight of them are vaccinated, which means out of the 179 people in hospital from COVID right now, 171 of them are for unvaccinated people, only eight from vaccinated. And they say they have 20 people on ventilators that are keeping them alive, only one of them as a vaccinated person. So you have a 95% better chance if you're vaccinated. Just get vaccinated people if you have the opportunity, please. Anyway, so you can't ignore it. The pandemic is definitely one of the reasons. It's not the only reason. I mean, we see people going to sporting events and to restaurants and things like that. So it's not the de facto reason, but it's definitely one you have to take into consideration. Reason number two, and we talked about this last week. It's R-rated. Now you said, but uh, Deadpool was rated. Right, made seven hundred. Yeah, yeah. Deadpool did make over $700 million in a star rated. Guess what? That would have been a billion dollar film if it wasn't. I mean, look, you just, all you have to do is look at all the numbers. The statistics, Rob, you pointed this out yourself before. You just look at the numbers. R-rated films don't do as well as PG-13 films in general. There's the odd spike for sure, but when you average it out, the R rating limiting the number of people who, who can go to see it is going to hurt it. It's not the reason, obviously not, but it's one of the reasons that gets factored into that. So, And that's what we said last week. We said, look, the R rating is going to have an impact on it as well. All right, number three. The first Suicide Squad uh, baggage. By baggage I mean um by baggage I mean the fact that even though the first suicide squad movie was a huge hit at the box office most people hated it I am one of those people that actually quite enjoy I had a good time with I'm not gonna lie I know it was a hot mess of the movie I had fun with the first suicide squad movie so suck on it I don't care but the reality is a lot of people hated it and I think it only had like a 20 some percent critic rating and the audience rating wasn't fantastic either. And, you know, so that baggage that carries over, especially when the name of the movie is basically identical. It's the same. They they probably should have renamed this thing uh, Task Force X. They probably should have just renamed the movie to Task Force X. Maybe it wouldn't have had as strong of an association with it, but be that as it may. Uh, the first Suicide Squad baggage is something we mentioned last week was going to be one of the things that hurt this. That a lot of people will remember seeing the first Suicide Squad, not liking it. So if there's another Suicide Squad movie. No thanks, I'm good. You know, so that was going to play a part of it too. The next one, completely unknown characters. I'm not talking about actors. I'm talking about characters. Now you can make an argument for Harley Quinn, but we'll talk about Harley Quinn in a second. The reality is nobody's heard of blood sport. You say blood sport, what do you think of, Rob?
1: Think of Sean uh, Van about, Damme. Of, yeah, Sean Van Damme movie, yeah. fighting in the octagon or yeah.
0: With with like, oh, you will be next. You know, that's you think of blood sport. You think of the movie, you don't think of that. Who the hell has heard of polka dot man? Outside of hardcore comic book fans, Ratcatcher 2? Who the, what? Now, you can make an argument that, uh, hey, John, you know, James Gunn did a movie with characters like Rocket Raccoon and Groot and Drax the Destroyer. Yes, he did. But he also did that in an MCU that was, firing on all cylinders at the time. And it should be pointed out, Rob, that that, it's not like that first Guardians of the Galaxy movie made a billion dollars. And if it had been filled with recognizable characters that a lot of the audience had known, it probably would have done even better at the box office. But I really do think coming into a DC film that you remove the name Harley Quinn, which we will talk about in a second, and you're left with King Shark, Polka Dot Man, Rat Catcher, peacemaker, you're filled with all these characters that nobody knew about. Is that the reason that Suicide, this Suicide Squad movie bombed at the box office? No. But is it one of the contributing factors? Absolutely it is. It's absolutely one of the contributing factors. But that leads us into directly into reason number five. Uh, Harkley? Harley Quinn. The devaluation of Harley Quinn, specifically I mean, as it pertains to Birds of Prey and the Fabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. The one recognizable name, character name, in this movie is Harley Quinn. But with Suicide Squad carrying a bunch of baggage over, even the name of Harley Quinn was carrying over some baggage. Because that Birds of Prey movie sucked. Now, all film is subjective. There are people who enjoyed it. And if you did, that's awesome. I'm jealous. I wish I could have enjoyed it too. But uh, the movie was terrible, in my opinion. Absolutely terrible. And so when you take a character, a highly valued IP, and you throw it into something terrible, the, the value of that character drops as well. And so whereas the Harley Quinn character was a super hot property coming out of the first Suicide Squad movie, even though a lot of people didn't like the movie, they all loved her. I think that property got devalued with birds of prey. And so is that the is the devaluation of the character of Harley Quinn the reason Suicide Squad bombed? No. But is it a reason? I think it's one of the reasons that you have to consider. There's also this. You know, Rob Forbes did an article. Uh, last yesterday I think that also laid out their reasons and one of the reasons they gave I thought was actually pretty interesting and one that I had not considered before the Will Smith sequel pattern what's that Will Smith movies that get a sequel without Will Smith in them how have those done go go back and look at Independence Day 2 How'd that do without not. Will Smith? Huh? How'd that do without Will Smith? Or Men in Black, the new Men in Black, the Will Smith franchise, Men in Black. Let's make another one without Will Smith. How did that do? Now, of course, those, you know, Independence Day to the most recent Men in Black they did, it didn't help that those movies were both also awful movies. <laughs> that didn't help as well. But, I mean, there is a little bit of a pattern emerging here of... Will Smith hits that get sequels without Will Smith in them and see what happens again. Am I saying that is the reason suicide squad flopped? Absolutely not. But is it a contributing factor? I think you have to acknowledge that it is a contributing factor. So you got the pandemic. You got the the fact that it was R rated you had baggage in the audience over the first Suicide Squad movie. It's a movie that is filled with completely unrecognizable and unknown characters to the audience. You have the devaluation of the Harley Quinn character, which was the one bankable character name you had in this movie. You had the Will Smith sequel pattern, another Will Smith hit that goes on to do a sequel without Will Smith. There's that. And then of course you got HBO max and there's two things about HBO max. Okay. two things about HBO Max, Um, a bunch of people stayed home to watch it. And that's that's one we all know. Right. Uh, Warner Brothers stabbed this movie in the back. They undermined its chances for success when they were making it. And unlike Black Widow, where at least if people the one deterring factor for Black Widow on Disney Plus is you got to pay an extra 30 bucks to see it. With Suicide Squad, you can just stay at home and watch it for free. You can just pop it on for free. And not only does that kill a bunch of people going to see it for the first time, Rob, but it also kills repeat viewing. Because most people I know, and I'm sure for a lot of you guys it's the same thing, if you saw it once and loved it, where were you watching it the second time? You're probably just going to pop it on HBO. Cause you've already seen it. Like you did your duty. You went to go see it in theaters. You saw it the best way possible on the big screen, had the best experience with the possible, but it kills repeat viewing and it, it kills bringing friends with you to repeat viewings. It, yeah, it hurt a lot. But the one thing that we haven't talked about a lot, Rob, but you have mentioned this about other films before in other circumstances. And I think it's really uh, astute to this. And that is this, not only being on HBO max, Did it prevent some people from going the first time? It certainly prevented a lot of people from going a second time because now they could just watch it at home. But is this. There is still this perception amongst the audience. And there's no denying this. There still is a perception about the audience that a movie on TV is a lesser movie. That's the perception. Rob, you've talked before about how, you know, getting a movie in the theaters... And having it in theaters, a theatrical run, that gives it a, a panache. It gives it a, 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 um, a status, if you will. Where now when it comes out on home video, it's like, oh, yeah, this movie played in theaters, blah, blah. There is still a perception, whether it's fair or not, whether it's fair or not, there is still a perception amongst average fans, not the hardcore fans, but the average fans, that a movie that is playing straight on television is a lesser movie. It devalues the um, the status of the movie. It devalues the gravitas of the movie. So it even changes the perception of the movie to a lot of audiences. Is the HBO Max release the sole reason why Suicide Squad flopped at the box office? No, absolutely not. But is it one of the contributing factors? You'd be a fool not to acknowledge it. So... It's a number of things and there are probably more, but just to run this down again, you have things like the pandemic, obviously the pandemic, you have things like it was R rated. Well, we always know that about R rated films, that the first suicide squad made it bring along a bunch of baggage because of the name, obviously it's filled with completely unknown characters that aren't going to get the audience excited on their own. The devaluation of the Harley Quinn character as a result of the Birds of Prey movie. The Will Smith sequel pattern, trying to do a sequel to a smash Will Smith movie without Will Smith. The pattern so far is that, that hasn't done very well for people. And then, of course, the HBO Max thing, that a bunch of people stayed home to watch it. Certainly, they stayed home to watch it the second time, if they even if they went the first time on that weekend. And that amongst the general population, the perception of a movie that's straight on TV is that it's a lesser movie. Again, none of these are the magic bullet, Rob. I'm not saying any of these are the one sole magic bullet that caused this. But Rob, you know, I was saying a bunch of these things off this list before the movie got released. I said, this is why this movie, as great as it is, is going to struggle at the box office because it's fighting all these things. And it, none of them had anything to do with James Gunn, who did a magnificent job on this film and delivered a thoroughly entertaining thing, for, at least for people like me. But yeah, those are the things. Rob, you see my list here. Let me ask you this. Were you surprised to see the, the box office numbers come out for Suicide Squad? And then which of mine do you agree with? Do you have others? What do you attribute this to be generous, this lackluster showing of, of Suicide Squad at the box office is.
1: Well, I, you know, I th- agree with everything that you listed. Uh, those are all contributing factors. Um, but I'll, I'll go one better because I've been thinking about this, or not one better, I'll, I'll give you one more. I think that the reason that this movie didn't do what people hoped it would do or what the industry even thought it would do is exactly what makes it great, and that is James Gunn. I think that a lot of people and I say this the 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 non movie pundit space audience that we're peop- we're talking to right now not the people that are are watching this show because the people that are watching this show just like fans of any property we show up we turn up we know what's going on I think that the actual James Gunn-ness of this whole movie did not translate To the general audience, not the audience watching this show right now, but the rest of the audience, the general audience that we need to show up for 180 million dollar movies, not the people that are following all the business of Hollywood and hang on every spoiler and trailer and piece of information that comes out. That's us, but it's everybody else. And I think they watch this movie and they they're like, what is this? I I really think that the, the James Gunness, the tone, which is what we all love which is what we go to see because we know we know what's up. I mean, it's one thing when it's called Guardians of the Galaxy and, and the whole perception of it is kind of goofy. You've got the MCU that's already surrounding it, but what are they going to do? How are they going to bring these characters together? I think that this movie is just too goofy for the general population. And I think that... You know, while we loved it, it gives us everything. It checks all the boxes, and like you, I thought James Gunn did an extraordinary job directing this movie. I, you know, while we always talk about tone, and and it was this was a difficult tone, man. I mean, it's it could have spun off into oblivion very, very quickly, but it does not. That moment we talked about on the show on Friday, when King Shark looks into the alleyway and sees two people, Oh, so brilliant, uh, kissing. so you know, brilliant. it's it, James Gunn is a brilliant guy and he's a brilliant writer and a really great director but i just think the general population if you go to a character like king shark they're like wait what come on and i think a lot of people the very things that we love about it turn people off because they they obviously when they catch up with this movie on hbo max they're gonna think to themselves i love this this is this they didn't realize what it was and i think that's that's I think that was problematic. Even Warner Brothers leaned into it from the beautiful, beautiful, horrible mind of James Gunn. People are like, who's James Gunn? They don't know who that is. I mean, we do because we're who we are. But I think that was the real problem here is that I think that for those people, they should have done different. They should have targeted the ad campaigns at different kinds of people, you know, sell us the goofiness. But also they should have done one that was just hardcore action. Because there's some great action in this movie, and not made it goofy, but there is a tonal issue here that if you don't buy into it, you I think you could find the movie to be a turnoff, and I think that's what really happened here. And,
0: and that that speaks to the marketing campaign. Like that's all the yes. marketing campaign. And Rob, to your point, I had a buddy of mine. I, I've mentioned him a couple times on the show. A buddy of mine lives in Nashville. Uh, he texted me, and he's like, "Hey man, this Suicide Squad movie." <laughs> My my buddy, my good friend that I've known for 20 plus years, Jeff, um doesn't watch my show on a regular basis. So he's a like, man, just suicide squad movie. But to exactly your point, Rob, he said, I thought the trailers looked like ass. So I had no interest in it, but I was just home one night, so I popped it on HBO. It's awesome! But that yep. speaks exactly to what you're saying, that the trailers like, for people who are not in the hardcore circles like we are, the trailers just made it look like something that, especially in the absence of recognizable characters, and in and with the baggage that came along with the other Suicide Squad, they just looked at it and said, what the hell is this?
1: That's right. What is That's this? That's exactly right.
0: And they didn't want to uh, to give it a shot. They didn't want to check it out. And. Uh, and I think, yeah, like just as soon as you started saying that, I started thinking of my buddy who just wrote me. It's like, yeah, I thought I wasn't going to see this. look stupid. But man, and I, seen you know, this? It,
1: it, it's a real shame because, you know, I, I think the film did such a great job of both making a kick ass, hardcore, R rated action fantasy that actually had real heart, real stakes, really interesting and then the humor, the irreverent, very indie, very trauma sensibilities that James Gunn has always had. I mean, it's really hard to put those two things together. It's hard for anyone, but James Gunn is the master of it. And and the same way that some, someone like James Wan is the master of the jump scare, and I think that that was really unfortunate that that what they needed to do, I don't say I think they should have done a bait and switch, but they should have like downplayed if you don't think king shark's funny and a lot of people wouldn't because i think it's just goofy that when you show him it's like that looks kind of dumb to people i guess even though king shark's now around on other in other things and people know who that character is but i just think like you said a lot of people just were turned off by it and don't understand what it really was and i think people are going to discover it. it's going to be a movie that people are going to be talking about in 10 years I I agree.
0: I I agree. I think this is one a lot of people are going to talk about in 10 years. I think this is going to be one that a lot of people discover long after the fact. Um, And by the way, I put it on my Twitter the other day, Rob, I, I am not a tattoo guy. I have no tattoos. I don't plan on having tattoos. I'm not cool enough that I can pull off tattoos. I think if you got tattoos, that's great. I'm not cool enough. I can't pull off tattoos, but I would be lying, Rob, if I didn't mention that Man, I'm tempted to get a tattoo on my arm that says, book read, so smart me. I am very, very tempted. Book read, so smart me. I just, once I heard that first line, because I, like, Rob, you mentioned that one line in the trailer, right, where you just see King Shark going, hand. It's like, all right. But once you're introduced to King Shark. Right. And you get a sense of him and and his childlikeness and his almost innocence in a way while he's murdering tons of people, all that kind of stuff, all of a sudden that line becomes a little bit more charming, but out of context, it just doesn't hit the right way anyway. And by the way, there is one other thing I should point out here on this list, and I'm seeing a bunch of guys in the live chat writing this in, and and it's absolutely true. Uh, The other one, and this goes along with all streaming stuff. This is not unique to uh, Suicide Squad, but any movie that's being debuted day and date. And that's uh piracy. I mean, it's one thing, Rob, not a lot of people out there are going to seek out these crappy little hiding under my jacket, handy cam, filming the movie screen or whatever. Yeah. Some people can watch it like that if you have no taste, but most people don't look out for that stuff. But now with the digital streaming, Rob, you and I have talked about this. Now you have pristine, perfect copies of these movies that even if you're not an HBO max member, you can still watch suicide squad in its full perfect form without it. So, so piracy has got to be considered uh, one of those things as well. So we're going to add to this list. I'm going to put piracy and we're going to add uh, uh, lack of appeal in marketing. Uh, as you were saying, Rob. So uh, here's what we got The Pandemic, R rated, First Suicide Squad movie baggage being com- uh, carried over, completely unknown characters, the devaluation of the Harley Quinn character, the Will Smith sequel pattern, HBO Max day and date release, uh, piracy, lack of appeal to the general audience in marketing who don't really get what this film's about. And then, Rob, the reality is there's probably a dozen more. This was, this, and we said this two weeks ago, this Suicide Squad movie, as far as box office goes, was facing a very, very big uphill battle. A very big uphill battle. And um, it clearly was not able to overcome it. And all we can do, Rob, I said this on my spoiler review yesterday, is keep our fingers crossed and hope that once Discovery takes over Warner Brothers in probably early to mid-2022, That the CEO there says, you know what? They just handled that Suicide Squad thing wrong. This movie was great. The people who've seen it loved it. We need to give this thing another thing, another go, but we're going to do it right. We're going to treat it right. Um, All that kind of stuff. That's the only thing we can hope because I desperately want to see another one of these. But Rob, as things stand... What would you say the chances of, as things are, not with Discovery coming hopefully to save the day, but what would you think the chances are of another Suicide Squad movie like this being done anytime soon? And not just this Suicide Squad movie, but Rob, how does this hurt or does it hurt other potential hardcore, big budget, you know, gritty kind of uh, comic book movies coming? Does this hurt those as well? What do you think?
1: Well, you remember, remember, there's a Peacemaker TV series coming. Yes, on HBO Max. And, and James Gunn directed six episodes of that. And I'm wondering, I mean, obviously they made it, so they're going to put it up on on HBO Max. I mean, we haven't heard the numbers. I would suspect that this movie is going to get discovered and people are going to watch it on HBO Max quite a bit. And maybe with the with the Peacemaker series, it'll do really, really well. And it'll exceed all their expectations. It'll be one of the most watched movies ever. And maybe that way we could end up seeing another another um, Suicide Squad film. But right now, I think the prospects are quite distant that they're going to make it. But we are, uh, and, and look, R-rated, R-rated action movies, the John Wick franchise shows that they can work, but you just can't spend $180 million making them. You know, and, yeah. and I think that's, that's, there's a lot. I mean, this movie, obviously, this film spared no expense. It's, 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 oh, yeah. There are some all,
0: expensive movies that we look at and say, where did they spend the money? Suicide Squad, you see every dollar of that hundred oh, million yeah. on the screen.
1: Yeah, it's all over the place. And, and I think, you know, you have to tailor, you have to tailor what movie you're making to and its budget. It's so funny. Now everyone just throws all this money at things thinking that they're going to succeed without really taking into account, like, like Star Trek movies. You know, the modern J.J. Abrams, Bad Robot, the three Star Trek movies, they spent an enormous amount of money making those. But the Star Trek franchise has never made that much money theatrically at the box office, and they all underperformed to a certain extent. But it's like if you had made them for less money, you might have a more successful franchise. So could you do a Suicide Squad movie for $100 million instead of 180 Like cut the budget in half? Maybe you could. I just don't know if they'll ever... Greenlight light a movie now with with what what has happened here even though i think that's too bad because i thought this movie was a wildly entertaining time at the pictures so yeah uh it's too bad it's it's a wonderful movie for what it is and i i i'm sorry james gunn it might be the most james gunn of all james gunn movies and it should have succeeded way more than it did
0: yeah, I know Anne and I, we're planning already this coming weekend. We're going to go to the theaters and do a double feature. We're going to go watch Free Guy again and then follow that up same night with a, another Suicide Squad screening in the theaters. But anyway, guys, it's a big topic, but the question for you is this. Why do you think that this magnificent bastard of a movie, this Suicide Squad movie, so underperformed? I mean, again, not people hadn't had a chance to see it to know if it was good or bad. What was it? Was it some of the things that I listed? Can you think of some other reasons overall? Generally speaking, what are your thoughts? Jump down into the comment section below and leave your thoughts there. Okay, guys. With that down and out of the way... Let's now move on. And by the way, our friend S. Beam sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, S. Beam. Appreciate that. Let's now move on and start taking your live comments and questions, shall we? How do you send in a live comment or question to be on the show or in an upcoming companion video? It's simple. Just go down into the description of this video and you'll see a tip link. Click on that there. Or you can enter it in manually at www.streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question read on a show if it's appropriate for the show. And of course, you'll be supporting the channel at the same time. And all of us involved here at the John Campion Show, thank you guys so very, very much for your support. Now, before we get into the live comments and questions, I should mention this, my uh, the guy who screens the questions for me, he mentioned that there was like four or five of them that came in that were clearly heavy, heavy spoiler questions regarding Suicide Squad and You know, it's the movie just opened this weekend, so we will allow spoiler questions regarding Suicide Squad probably this upcoming week, but it's just too close. So our screener removed those suicide, those spoiler Suicide Squad questions where he's like, why do you think they killed such and such at this point in the movie when it's like, ah, we can't read those. We can't read those. So if if you're one of those couple of people that sent one of those in, our apologies. But, I mean, it was too heavy spoiler-laden. We couldn't do that. Not quite yet. Not yet. So I just wanted to give you guys the heads up on that. Anyway. Anyway. Let's get into your live comments and questions, shall we? And we're going to start things off here with Matt Shaw, who writes, Hey, John, two questions. What is your favorite UFC fight that you can remember? Uh, do you think Valentina Shevchenko can beat Amanda Nunez if they fight a third time? Well, first of all, Valentina and Amanda have both shown they can they can beat each other. Amanda can beat Valentina. She has. Valentina can beat Amanda. The one that she won that one fight, even though the judges saw it differently. She won that one fight. They have both shown they can beat each other. But my favorite fight in UFC history still has to be Stefan Bonner versus Forrest Griffin. That is the fight. And, and for those of you guys who aren't even UFC fans, listen to me. Listen to me. Go look up the fight of Forrest Griffin versus Stefan Bonner. It is the fight that made the UFC like UFC was still this kind of thing. It was starting to grow a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when the Stefan Bonner versus Forrest Griffin fight happened, overnight, the the portfolio of the UFC completely changed. The perception of the UFC changed. There have been better technical fights since then, but that Forrest Griffin versus Stefan Bonner fight, if you have never seen it, I don't care if you a UFC fan or not, go look it up. It is one of the craziest fights you will ever see two guys standing there fighting for, the winner of the fight was getting a big, big UFC contract and these are two guys that stood there and threw bombs at each other for like the whole fight. It's one of the craziest heart and grit fights you've ever seen and it made the UFC. So, if you haven't seen that fight, you gotta go and watch that fight. Okay, anyway, next up. Uh, Jason writes, years ago, when first only hearing the descriptions for Into the Spider-Verse and Creed, they sounded god-awful. But after I saw them, they are now two of my favorites. Curious what movies, when you first heard the description, you thought that would suck but end up loving. Well, honestly, Jason and Rob, you know this. Those are two movies that I instantly mention when that comes up. I I had no interest in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. None. I didn't even like the first trailer. And I didn't like the animation style. I thought the animation style looked lame, which everybody thought I was crazy for. And same thing with Creed. It's like, really? You're going to do a Rocky movie that's not even about Rocky? And it's not about Apollo. It's about Apollo's kid. Okay, why are you making this? What's the point? And I love both of those movies, particularly Into the Spider-Verse, which ended up being my third favorite film of 2018, only behind Black Klansman and A Quiet Place. Um, and yes, that is the same year that, uh, Infinity War and, uh, Black Panther came out. And I thought Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse was the best comic book movie that year. That's how much I loved it. And I had no interest in it. Same with Creed, man. I I just love that film. Rob, do you have, I know you love Creed as well, but do you have a movie that you can think of off the top of your head that like you looked at it and thought this looks like not interesting at all, but that you ended up loving it?
1: Uh you know what probably ridley scott's the counselor
0: oh come on you didn't like that movie did you
1: oh i love it john really i love i thought you were joking oh my god i hate that
0: movie i I think it's his worst film
1: (laughs) oh i love that movie and i love the extended director's cut too i have it on blu-ray oh oh i can't get enough I, I, i i i thought i was gonna hate that movie boy do i love that film
0: See, I thought exactly yep. the opposite because, you know, I have a legal – I'm a sucker for law movies and things like that, and it's really Scott. I had the complete opposite reaction. I thought it looked awesome, and then I watch <laughs> it, and I'm like, what the F is this? Like I couldn't stand it. So there you go. All like We all have different reactions to these things. That's hilarious. All right. Uh, next up. Thanks for that, Jason. Next up, we've got uh, Living Spirals rights. Just watch Suicide Squad, and I cannot wait to see James Gunn do more work for DC. Would love to see him tackle a Lobo movie, maybe even something with his daughter Crush. Yeah, of course, we talked last week about the fact that Walter Hamada has made it clear that they love James Gunn. They've already got plans to do more with James Gunn. They've already got projects on the go. But Rob, again, it's got to be asked, okay, Hamada's saying that. And now this movie just made $26.5 million. Like, are those... Are they still rushing ahead with making them? I mean, who knows what the the Discovery CEO wants to do, but do you still think they're moving ahead with those plans? Do you think maybe they're not calling each other as much anymore? What do you think? Uh,
1: well, it, the thing is, you know, I think everybody thought that what James Gunn did was, was good. I mean, I think the studio probably was overjoyed with it. Everybody was overjoyed with it. Now, maybe with all this Monday morning quarterbacking that's going on, but I don't think you could deny that Warner Brothers probably had a pretty great experience working with him and he delivered exactly the movie that he was supposed to. It's not like they they brought him on and he went wildly over budget and it was he was, you know, it didn't live up to his promise. No, he did. He he knocked it out of the park. And I think that, again, though, box office is king. And what are they going to do? I mean, the problem is that you've got a filmmaker that they know is really good at what he does. So how do you reconcile? I mean, ultimately, you have to, you have to go with, the, did the movie make money? Because it's going to be hard to justify on a spreadsheet, well, this movie didn't make money. Why are we working with him again? How do you justify that to your shareholders? It's hard. Yep.
0: And once again, Walter Hamada delivering some really good movies for the folks over at D.C. lately. Uh, anyway, next up, uh, Casey McNatt writes, one of three. Hey, John, how are you today? I'm doing great, Casey, thank you. Well, I just got back from watching The Suicide Squad, and what more can I say that I loved every part of that movie, and it was definitely better than the first one. Another note I want to touch on uh, here we did get a new Bond trailer. At least I think it was new because I'm pretty sure I haven't seen it before. And then we got the Batman trailer. Yes, it was the same one we got from DC Phantom last year. But as far as I remember, this is the first time I've actually seen the trailer in a theater and it gave me chills when it came up in the movie theater. Makes me wonder though, do you see us getting a new trailer when DC Fandom comes out in October? I think... I think it's it's safe to say yes, Rob. I mean, obviously we can't, we don't have a crystal ball, but I can't possibly imagine them doing DC fandom and not releasing a new trailer for their Batman movie, which is probably the number one movie that they have coming out is probably that Batman movie. So I, I would, dude, I often say I'll put five bucks. I would put a hundred bucks. On that, yes. we're At the very minimum, Rob, we're going to get some kind of the Batman featurette. You know? Maybe not a proper trailer, although I still truly believe we'll get a proper trailer. But at the very minimum, get one of those little featurette things. I can't imagine... I mean, what's what are you doing DC fandom for if you have the Batman coming out and you don't drop a new trailer for it? Then what's the point of doing this thing? I can't imagine they won't. Rob, what do you think about that?
1: Uh, I think... They'll, they'll absolutely have a new trailer for the Batman. I think they've got to start that hype train. I mean, I, I've almost forgotten that that movie is being made. You know, I know the <laughs> Robert, it's, it's almost like the Robert Pattinson. A friend of mine uh, showed me, Roberto Suarez, a friend of mine went into a, um, like a, I don't know, like a some convenience store, and they had a bunch of Hot Wheel cars for sale for 89 cents. And one of the Hot Wheels was the Batmobile from the new upcoming batman the batman and he bought it and he showed it to me and i'm like i can't believe it like you can already buy batman hot wheels cars i'd forgotten that movie was even coming out it seems like they've been making it for 87 years but um i think they have to show us more get us get the hype train moving
0: yeah i i agree and damn that first trailer was great I, I just, I really enjoyed that trailer. I mean, I, I didn't think it was the best trailer I'd ever seen, but yeah, I thought it was really, really good. But they've got to show us. They got it. They got it. Again, it's not like DC is going to another convention like a Comic-Con that has a bunch of other things. This is DC fandom. Again, I'd have, if they didn't show it, I'd, be, I'd have to ask, then what are you doing this for? Anyway, uh, so that's my kind of take on it at any rate. All right, next up. Uh, We've got Mischievous Gremlin who writes, Hey, John, I don't know if you saw it yet, but Why the Last Man trailer has come out. Have you seen it yet? And what do you think of how it looks? Rob, I don't know if you saw it, but yeah, the the first full trailer for Why the Last Man got released. Um, Listen, I am excited for this thing. I am. I've been looking forward to it ever since Shia LaBeouf was originally attached to star in it ages ago, and it was going to be a feature film. And while I still think it's going to be great, because the source material is so great, and while I, I am still looking forward to it, I'm not gonna lie. I didn't think the trailer was great. I, I really didn't. I didn't think the trailer was all that great. I still think the show was gonna be great, but I didn't think the trailer was all that good. Rob, did you have a chance to see that spot for Why the Last oh, Man? Oh yeah. What did you
1: think? Yeah, no, I and mean, you know I've read the entire graphic novel series. Um, I'm really excited for this. I thought it looked. I thought it looked very beautifully made. I like what I've seen of the cast. Uh, it made me excited. I didn't like you. Was it the greatest trailer in the world? Well, maybe not, but it really did a good job of conveying what the show's about. So I, I, am I'm, I'm excited. I mean, I, I wasn't expecting much, and I kind of forgot it was getting made. They've been trying to make this forever, and I'm, I'm excited. I think it's going to be great.
0: <clears throat> All right. Next up, we've got uh, Gabe writes. Hey, John. Uh, what are your thoughts on John Cena as Peacemaker? He was my favorite character in the movie. Are you looking forward to the upcoming Peacemaker series? You know, th- that's the one thing. Suicide Squad maybe changed my, I, my outlook on Peacemaker, the show, because, look, I've said this before. John Cena, I think he's shown he's got some very good natural comedic timing talent that can work well as a supporting character in comedy. I think Blocker showed that he does have that comedic talent, but that he's not ready or good enough of an actor to carry a project on his own. But in the hands of James Gunn, and remember, James Gunn did this with Dave Bautista as well in Guardians of the Galaxy. Dave Bautista, who says himself, he's actually not that great of an actor. You put him in the hands of James Gunn, who knows how to hide a performer's weaknesses and accentuate their strengths. And he made Dave Bautista a wonderful Drax the Destroyer. John Cena not only showed he had some decent comedic timings in this, but there are moments, I won't spoil anything, there are moments where he has to actually act quite dramatic. And th- there's a line, I talked about this one line in the spoiler review, I'll just say what the line was, I won't give a spoiler when he says, don't make me do this, that I believed it. And I don't know if it's because he's in James Gunn's hands or if he's just really gotten better over the years. But I'll tell you what, Rob, seeing Suicide Squad has actually made me quite excited to see this Pacemaker series. What do you think?
1: Uh, I'm excited. You know, I mean, look, for me, everything can be good. Like, I I just assume, especially now, that when somebody greenlights something, because it's not like people are uh, out there making something on their own. You know, there's levels of approvals, and when something gets made, I I, I give everyone the benefit of the doubt. You know, you they, everyone's putting they they very few people half-assed, it except maybe Bruce Willis in the movies he's in these days. But I mean, I'm I'm just hoping it's good, man. You know, d- people are doing the work; they're busting their butts. I'm hoping what they make is great. All right, next up. And I always go, in, don't you? I mean, don't you? When you watch things, don't you want all of it to be good?
0: Of course, yeah. Yeah, I just I just don't understand people who want something to be bad. I, I've never understood that. I don't either. Who wants that? All right. Uh, next up, we've got Russell Amador writes. Hey, John. W- wow, just wow. What a movie by James Gunn. The Suicide Squad was what I hoped for, and then some. My wife had a damn good time with the two. King Shark was easily my favorite of the bunch. hand uh, Stallone voice again. My my favorite, my two favorite parts of King Shark. Uh, again, one. Book read, so smart me. I just, I could watch that line over and over again. And then again, we talked about that scene in the van when he's looking at people. So good. It's hard not to, for him to be at least one of your favorite characters in it. All right. I'm glad you enjoyed it, Russell. Uh, Sergeant Ward writes, one of two. Hey, John, since every movie studio is getting into the streaming business, does that mean streamers like Netflix will get into the theatrical business to compete? Full re- theatrical, not limited. With Netflix futures lineup, knives out to the $200 million uh, Gray Man movie and a live-action Gundam movie, it wouldn't surprise me if they were to do that. What do you think? No, I don't think so. The one, Rob, the one exception to that, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, Mm. I I don't see Netflix wanting to get into the theatrical business at all. That's not where their bread and butter is. But a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how the head guy of film and Netflix said he is willing to do whatever it takes to get Christopher Nolan to come over to Netflix. We all know the only way that would possibly happen with, with Christopher Nolan's uh, passion for the theatrical experience The only way that happens is if Netflix says to Christopher Nolan, not only will we drive this big truck of Spanish gold over to your house, we will commit to a full exclusive theatrical release before putting it on Netflix later. That's the only way. There is no other way Christopher Nolan goes to Netflix. And I believe the film head at Netflix when he says, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get him to come over well the only way he's going to get him to come over is if they commit to a theatrical window first and then netflix so no i don't think netflix is looking to get into theatrical business with the one exception that they would do it for christopher nolan if that would be enough to get him to come over rob what do you think
1: i i think you're exactly precisely correct uh it is the only way to get christopher nolan to come over and you know I think for Netflix, is that really such a hard thing for them? <laughs> no, you're gonna you're gonna get Christopher Nolan working for you, and you might be able to sign him to say a three or four picture deal or something, and you know you're gonna be in the Christopher Nolan business for the next decade. I mean, that's something Netflix can you know roll that out whatever they want, and um, going for it's just having an exclusive theatrical release like that uh, is good for them. You know, if you're gonna get if you're gonna get Christopher Nolan to come by. And, and hang his hat on your shingle, why not? Um, but I think you're absolutely right. That's the only way they're going to get him to do that.
0: I agree. All right, next up, we got Suthius who writes, I love that you are starting to put up vlogs. Thank you. Uh, that's one thing I enjoy about some of the YouTubers that I watch a little bit uh, a little bit into the daily lives of said YouTubers. You ain't going to show everything like others do, but I think you're vlogging just enough. Yeah, so Ann and I, just because a lot of people asked for it, Ann and I started putting up some John and Ann vlogs. And we've enjoyed making them. And we were kind of hoping like maybe two or 3,000 people would watch them. But we're getting like fifteen, eighteen, twenty thousand 18 20,000 views on these little vlogs that Anne and I are putting up. And uh, I'm glad you guys are enjoying them. And it's nice to show a little bit more of Anne and and uh, our daily life and a little bit of behind the scenes and stuff like that. So it's been fun. So I'm glad you're enjoying it, Sootheus. Uh, Next up, Keaton Toothman writes... Uh, my boy, John Campia, true Swiss Army. Oh, John Cena is probably meant by JC. Don't don't write short forms. It can cause confusion. Uh my boy, John Cena, true Swiss Army knife of talent. Dude, you Oh, no, you are talking about me, John Campia. Okay, thank you. A true Swiss Army knife of talent. Dude, you rock that U-2 song on the guitar. Uh, baby Azazel was jamming along with all smiles. I know it makes it harder with the pandemic, but when's the next? Uh, get together with fans. Me and Azazel want to come out. So for those of you who missed it, on a companion video last week or two weeks ago, somebody wrote in like a $300 uh, tip and said, this is for you to put towards your your um, uh, charity of choice. And, and we did. We gave it to that women and children's shelter here in LA. But they said, this is for you to put towards your um, charity of choice. All, we, all I ask is that you said U2 is your favorite band. Knock out a U2 song quick for uh, <laughs> with your guitar. So I pulled out the guitar, Rob, and I, I did a few bars of With or Without You. So uh, again, thank you for that. I appreciated that very much. By the way, our friend Banana Apple sends in a Super Chat badge in the live chat. I appreciate that, man, very much. So there was that. And uh, thank you to whoever it was because it was just listed as anonymous. Thank you to whoever it was that sent that in. And thanks for bringing that key, down. I appreciate that. As far as what the next get-together will be, Rob, I was seriously looking, and by the way, the big L.A. premiere of Tango Shalom is coming up. Very excited about going to that. Um, but with when the pandemic numbers were dropping, I was seriously starting to look at little theaters around L.A. that I could possibly rent to do a screening just for fun, as an excuse to get people together, of uh, the docu- our documentary movie trailers, a love story. And I thought it'd be really cool just as an excuse for fans to get together who watch the John Campus show, give them a chance to meet each other and and give me a chance to meet some of you guys. And then the, the, the numbers started to spike again. So I think Rob, once the numbers start to drop again, I will look at booking a theater um, and we'll do a screening with a Q and a with you and me, and maybe we can get Scott Mance there and, and maybe one or two other people that are involved in the movie and, uh, and do a screening and a hangout and a meet and greet at a theater, but it's going to have to be once the numbers drop. Of course the Tango Shalom premiere will take precedence, but uh, after the Tango Shalom premiere, then we'll probably, uh, uh, we'll probably do that. So keep your eyes open for it. And Rob, just tell, tell people a little bit about this Tango Shalom premiere that's coming up, but I'm very excited about
1: Well, yeah, as you know, I've worked on Tango Shalom for the better part of five years, on and off, true independent movie in every sense of the word. It's coming out theatrically uh, and on VOD from Vision Films, which I'm really enjoying working with them. But we are having a red carpet star studded premiere on September 1st which I will be giving away a couple of tickets to on uh, my own YouTube channel. Actually, I should probably give some away on this channel, too. Uh, and then it's going to be opening in New York City on September 3rd. So over that weekend, Labor Day weekend, anybody who's in New York, if you want to just go support, please go see the movie. Then it opens in Los Angeles the following week. And hopefully for the next, for September and October, it'll come, It'll be theater near you. And it'll also be opening in other places around the world. So it's a little indie movie that could, John. Uh, I can't believe that people are going to finally get to see this movie. It's not exactly the regular bill of fare for people like myself and people watching now. But, hey, if you've ever wanted to see an indie Jewish spiritual quest family dance comedy fable, well, Tango Shalom is your movie.
0: Rob, I can't, you know, for so long, I've been wondering when can I get myself a good Jewish tango dance comedy fable? Where is it? And then you came along and you delivered Tango Show. Uh, you know,
1: John, I just knew the world was begging for it, so I've decided to make sure that it's going to happen.
0: You know what they say in business, Rob? Find a need and fill it.
1: And that's that's right.
0: Can't wait to see this thing. Anyway, all right. Thanks for writing that in, man. All right, next up, we go to, that was Keton Mintran Tran writes, Which would you say is more gory, the new Suicide Squad or the first Deadpool? You know what? It's been a little bit of a beat since I watched the first Deadpool. I got to go back and watch that again. I would probably say the new uh, Suicide Squad is probably a little bit more gory. Rob, do you remember it that way? I'll say Suicide Squad's a bit more gory.
1: I think it is. And, you know, also the irreverence makes the gore. When gore is funny, it seems like it's a little even more extreme, more punk rock because yeah. you're not supposed to laugh at gore, but there's some great gore in Suicide Squad. I laughed out loud at yeah, some of it.
0: I did too. All right, next up, we've got Dr. Film writes, I think the whole streaming may bring an end to quality movies may be a good thing for theaters. Not at all, uh, since they have more quality control. Also, I think streaming benefits more with shows than with movies, so maybe it's for the best. What do you think? Well, see, here's the problem, and we talked about this the other day. The problem with the streaming stuff is this. In the theatrical model, there is a direct and immediate return on investment, right? You put out, you spend $120 million in a movie, you make $70 million in profit, you get $70 million in profit or $100 million in profit. There is also that added motivation that you know that the better you make your movie, the more money it makes like suicide squad may have only made 26.5 million, but if the movie was bad, it probably would have made like 17 million or less. The better the movie, the more money it makes. So there's direct financial incentive to make your projects as good as possible on streaming that is not the case. We, we quoted like Jason Blum and other Hollywood producers that were talking last week where they're saying, look, we know that with streaming, there's not a direct connection. There's no incentive for it. So we just have to make the movies good enough that we get another deal. But also for streamers, they were pointing out that the streamers, they're going to start shrinking the budgets on these things because the streamers know, Rob, just look at Netflix. Quality doesn't matter. Quantity matters. Quantity matters keep cranking out new, fresh content like Jolt or like Gunpowder Milkshake. Things that can look like they're going to be good, but we actually cheaped out on them as much as we could, and they're actually pieces of shit movies, but people don't care. We don't have to worry because there's not, unlike theatrical releases, there's not a direct correlation between what we put into it financially, energy, talent, all that kind of stuff, between how much effort we put into the movie and our financial rewards, that's not an equation in streaming. All we got to do is keep putting out enough new content that people don't cancel their subscriptions. That's it. And that is going to hurt the movies that we get. It's to- If you don't believe that that's going to hurt the movies we get, I don't know what to tell you. Because it will, and it's not going to be good for the theaters. Doctor film, because you know, if the if the studios can say, yeah, we can just make these movies for super crappy cheap, and we don't care if they're any good or not. We just put them up on streaming, and it keeps people subscribed. They, there's no incentive there, and all they have to do, Rob, is once or twice a year, once or twice a year at most, put out a marquee film, and then you just ride the coattails of that one marquee film success. For a year or two. It's like, oh yeah, we put out like, like Netflix. We put out the Irishman best picture contending film, all this stuff, super high quality. They know all they got to do is maybe once a year, put out one film like that and they can continue to crank out 40 or 50 other subpar pieces of garbage and it's fine. And so, yeah, this is going to hurt the quality of movies we get and the budget of the movies that we get them at and stuff like that. So,
1: and I, Rob, we've talked about this a lot, but, but what would you say to that? Well, I, I, I don't know. You know, what what is there to say? I don't know, man. I, I mean, I, I don't know I mean, what... it's
0: complicated. The whole thing about the streaming and the theatrical is complicated.
1: Yeah, yeah I mean, look, I, I think... I think that look that right now we're in the middle of a huge period of disruption and what Warner brothers did unilaterally, Jason Keillor saying we're going to release these movies day and date in the theaters clearly has had some kind of, I think adverse effect on movie going with Disney adding. I mean, what if, what if HBO max was charging for suicide squad the way that Disney charges for jungle cruise or black widow? Um, you've changed how to see movies and I'm look, I'm a believer in the theatrical experience, plusing and adding to the value of a movie. I just think it is that there's a prestige there. It's if, if movies are on TV and in the theater at the same time, you're diminishing the idea of going out to the theater. You just are. I'm embarrassed to say that I didn't go out to the theater to see suicide squad. John, I feel bad. And it was one of those things where I should have. And I sat down. I'm like, I'm just going to watch. And I should, of all the people, I would have put, po- if somebody told me that that Rob Burnett didn't go see Suicide Squad in the theater, I would have been like, what a fraud. And I kind of felt that way about it. And I, I think we need to protect movie going as an experience. And they look during the pandemic. This is all everyone's trying to figure out how this is going to work and what does it all mean for the business moving forward right now? I don't think it's very good for the business. And um, I don't, other than the fact that I I don't have the data to back it up yet, I guess we'll know in a year, you know, to see what, what, what happens, but we've got movies like no time to die. No time to die is a $250 million movie. It needs to make a billion dollars. And right now in this, we don't, we don't have, there's nothing that's come even close to that in our in our uh, experience during COVID and if what's going to happen, I, I don't know. I don't know, but uh, I just want questions. movies. Yeah. I big don't know, questions.
0: Man. All right, let's move on here. Next up. Alan Dale writes uh, one or two. I watched a suicide squad last week at Cineworld while I enjoyed it. And I thought it was good to me. It wasn't great. In my opinion, it had pacing issues. I agree. I think I do think the movie, I think that's one of the reasons why it wouldn't surpass Man of Steel for me was I did think that there were times in Suicide Squad that had some pacing issues and it felt longer than it was. Also, the last 20 minutes felt like a 1970s Japanese monster movie. I think that's a good thing. Um, I like all the DCEU and the slow burn of Batman versus Superman and uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League. But I got bored in parts with this and that last act felt disjointed from the DCEU. Uh, Based on the reviews, I feel like this is uh, overrated, even though I enjoyed most of it. Have I got it all wrong? Well, listen, Dale, first and foremost, your experience with a movie is never wrong. Uh, Film is art, man, and and it hits each of us differently. And even if you hated Suicide Squad, you're not wrong. That was your experience. You don't choose your experience. You don't choose whether you like something or not. You just you you watch it. You ha- the experience washes washes over you, and you either have a positive reaction to it or you don't. There's no such thing as you getting it wrong. That said, I also felt like there were there were moments like this movie was two hours and twelve minutes long. I felt like even just if they sliced out like fifteen minutes, and this movie came out at like one fifty-five or at two hours even. I think this movie would have moved even better and been an even better experience. So I agree. I, I think like coming out of suicide squad is magnificent and it's a great experience I had with it. I would say to improve it, I think they needed to tighten it up. Um, it, this was a movie that didn't need to be over the two north of two hours. I think this is the type of movie that has served best with a little bit tighter, a little bit more compact. I think it would have made it an even better experience, but again, That's just my opinion on that. Anyway, thanks for writing that in, Alan. appreciate your perspective, man. All right. Holy Jibus writes, um, part one of two. uh, Hi, John. I know you said you don't like DC animated movies. No, 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 no. That's not true. It's not that I dislike DC or Marvel animated movies. What I don't like is DC or Marvel straight-to-home video animated movies. They are, for the most part, complete piles of shite. There are some exceptions. There are definitely some exceptions. But like some people say to me, John, what about uh, Mask of the Phantasm? Well, that was a theatrical movie. You know, that movie actually got released to theater. It's the straight to home video Marvel and DC stuff that I don't like. But it's not that I don't like it in general. I mean, that's just that. Anyway, um, but I wanted to recommend Batman Soul of the Dragon. I watched 10 minutes of it, couldn't stomach it. Um, it's a callback to the 70s, 70s era kung fu movies like Enter the Dragon and has voice actors Jamie Chung, who is, of course, a friend of Anne's. Jamie is, uh, Anne, Anne and Jamie were sorority sisters together in, in college. Um, as Jade Kelly Hu, as uh, Lady Shiva, Michael Jackson. White as Bronze Tiger, Marcus uh, Dacascos as as Richard Dragon, and David uh, I don't know how to pronounce that word as Batman. The animation isn't the best but the action is great and the movie has a great 70s soundtrack to go along with the action. Yeah, listen, I'll be honest with you, Rob, I never get excited about a voice cast list for an animated movie I really don't yeah. like the actors literally go into a sound booth for a day or two, record all their lines and leave. I, I don't get generally that excited. There are some exceptions. I mean, who can imagine Shrek without the voice of Mike Myers, who can possibly imagine Buzz Lightyear without Tom Hanks, you know? So there are some exceptions, but for the most part, that stuff doesn't excite me. Yeah. I, I thought the, the trailer for that um, soul, of the dragon looked interesting, but again, I, I, I popped it on for a few minutes. I'm like, this sucks. And I, I just walked away from it. <laughs> I didn't do a review of it because I didn't watch the whole thing. So I have no business doing a review of it. But since you're asking me, I'll tell you, I, I watched it. Did you get around to watching this one, Rob, at all?
1: No, but I did see the trailer and I was like, I'd watch this. This looked good to me. But if you don't, if you didn't like it, I'm like, well, I probably wouldn't like it.
0: Yeah, and by the people in the chat reminded me, yeah, I I meant Woody as Tom Hanks. Buzz Lightyear was of course Tim Allen. So sorry, I got those mixed up for a second. All right. Anyway, next up, uh, we got Will K writes one of three. Uh, hello, John and Rob. I have a huge, or I have been a huge fan of the show since all the way back in the AMC Closet days. Thank you for that, Will. I appreciate that. I am a weak man, John. I turned. Uh, HBO Max on last night, and there ready to be watched was The Suicide Squad. I had intended my first viewing to be in a theater, but The Temptation was too great. I don't blame you, man. Uh, Now I feel that I must buy an extra ticket on top of the theater ticket I already bought uh, so that this movie earns all that it can. It feels like streaming these big blockbusters are going to kill these movies. Multiple co-workers have said they plan on streaming from home. Is there a problem here, or is it just me? P.S. Schnepp would have freaking loved this movie. Oh, no, no, there's no doubt. John, John would have loved it. Oh, my God, he would have loved this movie so much. Um, but listen, I get it. I totally get it. You've already got your tickets for Suicide Squad, and you're sitting at home flipping through your streaming things to see something to watch, and, like, right there in front of you is Suicide Squad. And you're hearing all these idiots like me saying, this thing is awesome. Uh, how do you not give in to that temptation to go ahead and hit play? The, the key is you've already planned on watching it in theaters and you're already contributing to it by buying your tickets. And that's great. But I, I can't blame you, man. I can't blame you. But yes, this is going to ruin movies. It's, it's going to ruin movies. Not all of the movies, but we are going to get fewer and fewer really high quality great movies moving forward. We're going to get fewer and fewer of them if, if the theatrical industry cannot survive. And I'm still not convinced that it won't. But if the theatrical experience cannot survive, we we have seen our best days of the number of great movies we get per, per year because we're never going to get that again. Not not with streaming. And I've already explained why. But uh, anyway, Rob, I assume this is probably the same experience you had that you were just sitting there, like, oh, my God, I could watch Suicide Squad right now. <laughs> and it's a hard temptation to pass up.
1: Uh, yeah. And uh, as I said, I'm not proud of it, dude. I, I, I'm not proud of the fact that I did. And it, it's, you know, I I also will say this psychologically as people, when you go to a movie theater, you're basically putting yourself into a a sensory deprivation tank where, but instead of being deprived, your senses are opened up more than they ever would be. If you're at home watching a movie, you you open up your brain. I feel like when I watch a film in a theater, it really, I take it all in there's nothing to distract me I'm not looking at my phone I don't even see like the edges of the screen you know you're you're in a black box and you're watching this the movie and it, it a great movie when you're transported there's nothing else that matters while you're watching a film except the film itself and I feel like from a mental standpoint you even you 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 get so much more out of it. It washes over you. It's engulfing, it's enveloping. And when you're at home, you don't get the same impact. You just don't.
0: Yep. It's true. All right. Um and by the way, I know some people are in the live chat are saying something like, and I know I, I get the rationale saying, well, you know, maybe that's true, like that you're going to see a decrease in the quality of movies. But there's still going to be great indie movies. Listen, I don't know how to break this to you. If you don't think there's going to be a trickle down effect, on this, you're crazy. There, This will impact even the smaller, high-quality indie movies because these streamers are just going to look at these things different ways. And And what's going to happen is, Rob, because of the quantity over quality thing, they're just going to crank out a lot of stuff. But guess what? It's going to happen like what so much happens on Netflix. These things will get released on Netflix. And even people like you and me who keep an eye on Netflix, there's like 20 things a month that drop on it that we've never even heard of. Like it came and went and it's like, we never even knew it was there. And that's going to be the destiny. A lot of these indie films, they're going to get no promotion. They're going to get no, um, no campaign whatsoever. At least even the small indies, they got little theatrical releases. Like take a 24s ghost story. Uh, the one with, uh, Casey Affleck, right? Like even did that get a huge campaign? No, but it got a marketing campaign. And people, a lot of people knew about it, even if they weren't going to go see it. And if you don't think this whole new shift is going to affect indie films, that's a wonderful fantasy you live in. That's a wonderful fantasy. But the reality is it is going to, a different type of an impact, yes, but it's definitely going to have an impact, 100%, 100%. Anyway, uh, let's move on here. Next up, uh, Orange Grove 55 writes, Um, Hey, John, I disagree with you a lot on many issues, but that is a huge part as to why I love watching your show. Echo chambers are boring. I love hearing your perspective. Keep up the great work, sir. Ah, thanks so much for saying that, Orange Grove. Because, you know, Rob, we tell people a lot. Our job, there's two things our job or not, okay? Our job, number one, is not to say things you already agree with. And number two, our job is not to convince you to agree with our point of view. What our job as YouTubers and film pundits is, is to give you our perspective and point of view in such a way that helps you better sharpen, understand, and establish your own point of view. Like, if me explaining, you know, why I... I think it's incredibly damaging to the movie industry with the move with what's going on with streaming and the battle with the theaters right now. That's not meant to convince you to agree with me. It's meant to give my arguments in such a way that if you disagree with me, it helps you better sharpen why you disagree with me. So at the end of the day, if you and I still disagree, great. If you've got a better understanding and more of a perspective on why you disagree with me after I give my, my perspective Awesome. That's the idea. We see too many YouTubers, Rob, and I'm not naming names, but too many YouTubers today just say what they think their audience wants to hear. That's it. They just say what their audience wants to hear, or they'll just cover things that they think are going to get clicks. And I'm not going to give any examples of this. And it's like, that's not what we do here. That's not the type of channel I want to be. I want to have people watching the show that disagree with me. I want to have that because that creates for a better community environment. And listen, our audience, Rob, we talk all the time about different movies and issues where our audience has actually changed my mind. On certain things, and that's the great thing about the community. So that's one of the things that I love about this, and and Rob, why I love having a guy like you on, who you and I often agree on a lot of th- things, but you and I often disagree on a lot of things. Yeah, <laughs> Star Trek, <laughs> but and that's <laughs> but that's one of the great things is that that we have different perspectives, and I want nothing less of that from our audience as we do from ourselves. I don't know what's your take on that whole thing.
1: No, I, I, I agree with that. And, and the fact that you and I can disagree about things and still be friends and still move forward. And, and, and I think that's what makes this show in particular interesting to watch is that you get different perspectives from us. Sometimes we, we agree and sometimes we don't. But, you know, we are trying to look at things with an industry, an eye toward how the industry works. And the business of it, it's not just like that. Oh, that's good. Or that sucks. You know, we don't we don't ever really do that. We try and and I i really appreciate that. And that's that you uh, allow me to bring my perspective to this. And that like, when I go to the Campia classroom with you, I learn things because you know, you've, you've done some research and you've planned the shows like, like you, you, I don't know, if people really get this, but you send show notes out the day before. Where And like when I do my own show, we do a little research here before. We don't just turn the camera on and yammer away. And I think that's important. And I think that's what makes this channel stand out.
0: All right. Thanks for that, man. All right. Last one we'll do here with Robert Meyer Burnett still here because we're we're keeping him over time already. But Christopher writes, do you think theaters are worried that after a year of day and date convenience for consumers, that it will be hard to put the genie back in the bottle and get people accustomed to exclusive theatrical windows again. Thanks for all you do. Absolutely. They're concerned about that. They're absolutely concerned about that. You know, I'm, I'm going to CinemaCon here in a couple of weeks where the whole movie theater industry is getting together (laughs) and they're screening Shang Chi at it. Very excited about that. I'm bummed. Um, So we're going to be talking about that. See, the bigger question is not what the movie theaters are concerned about is exactly that. But, you, Rob, we talked about that great article that Deadline had a few weeks ago about how these studios are realizing this is not good business. You know, that you are making far more money. If you're a studio, you are making far more money with a theatrical release and making money there then doing a PVOD rental and making money there, and then putting it on your streaming service of choice and making money there. You have multiple points, Deadline pointed out, you have multiple points where you make money and profit off of your property. And this experiment that they've been doing, whether it's Disney or HBO Max, they're realizing we're leaving so much money on the table Yep. Like I like like with Disney Plus, Mulan was a disaster for them, or with their premium access. Um uh, I already said Mulan, what was that? Ryan the Last Dragon. By the way, Ryan the Last Dragon is pretty damn good, if you haven't checked it out yet. But that was a disaster for them. Cruella was a disaster for them. Uh they tried to spin it as if uh um Jungle Cruise was kind of a success. It was not. It was not. And it was kind of funny seeing them trying to spin that as a success, and it completely wasn't. That's a $200 million movie. That was a $200 million movie. That is not a success at all. But it's not going to be about the theater's reaction. It's going to be about the studios realizing we're shooting ourselves in the foot. And we are leaving, we're going to lose money on this. And then it's going to take us as the fans to realize that that whole move over there, like those producers we're talking about, is going to ultimately lead to lower quality film. And, and studios realizing we can put less and less and less effort and resources into these films because it doesn't matter. We don't have to make them all that good. All we got to do is make one or two really good ones a year and we every, all the other of them can be shite and it doesn't matter. So are the theaters worried about it? Damn right they're worried about it. Of course they are. This is their entire industry. I mean, the studios, Rob, are looking at making not as much money and that's going to hurt them. The theaters are talking like a guillotine is hanging over their neck and like, it's going to kill them. Studios are going to make less money, but the theaters are going to be dead. So it's, it's good for overall, but absolutely the theaters are worried about it. Rob, I can't imagine this not being a big topic of conversation once we, once, uh, sorry, we, I keep forgetting you can't come with me this year, but once I get to CinemaCon, do you think it's going to be a big topic of conversation there for the theaters?
1: Oh, I, I, I think it's absolutely. They, they can't be happy with, with this. And also, it's getting to the point where where I don't think theaters can expect how many blockbusters... You know, theaters have all different kinds of movies. They're showing all different kinds of movies. And if, you know, you're only going to get these blockbusters and they've shut the windows... I mean, Black Widow has a 33-day window from the time it came out theatrically to the time it's leaving theatrical release. How can theaters be happy about that? I mean, they can't be. And I, I think we're really... We're looking at, a as far as the theatrical experience goes, I do think that there's an existential crisis happening here. And, you know, I just saw there's a new poster for Dune that just dropped today. And it's, you know, it's the ad is it's it's on the bottom. It says Warner Brothers and then HBO Max. And I look at Dune, I look at that trailer. I'm thinking to myself, my God, here's a movie I want to see in IMAX on the biggest screen possible. And yet they're also putting it out on IMAX. I'm like, what a disservice! I mean, they're putting it out on HBO Max. What a disservice to that movie! I mean, here, if if, ever, if nothing else, they're they're giving us something that is designed to be seen in the biggest theater possible. And yet, most people, I think, are going to go see it and watch it on HBO Max instead. And that's unfortunate.
0: Uh, indeed it is. Anyway, Rob, I know we kept you over time here again today. Thanks so much for bringing uh, yourself and your perspective to this wonderful conversation. Until tomorrow, where can people find you and your goodness online?
1: Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Robert, Robert Meyer Burnett. You can find me on Twitter at burnettrm, or find me on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Network.
0: All right, Rob, thanks a lot for being here again, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. All right, you too. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and the only, the great. Robert Meyer Burnett. He'll of course be back tomorrow. But listen, we still got some time here. So we're going to keep going through your comments and questions. And by the way, our friend Lord Evil187 sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Lord Evil. Appreciate that, man. All right. Let's move on here. Empire 1980 writes. Hey, John, first-time tipper. Thank you so much, man. appreciate that. Favorite Robert Downey Jr. movie before Iron Man and after Iron Man? Uh, For me, because my mom uh, watched them both a lot when I was a kid, it's uh, Chances Are and Heart and Souls. So I think for me, pre-Iron Man, two movies come to mind. One is Kiss Kiss Bang Bang which many people around here refer to as Kiss Kiss Gang Bang because I accidentally misspoke once and I've never lived it down. So yes, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, the one he did with um, the great Shane Black and Val Kilmer. Uh, Fabulous, fabulous movie. If you've never seen Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, you should absolutely go and watch that. The other one um, is the one where Robert Downey Jr. got his Academy Award nomination for was Chaplin. Uh, Chaplin was... I, again, Robert Downey Jr. got nominated for Best Actor for that film. It's wonderful. Uh, you should really check that out. So those are the two I would point out pre-Iron Man. Post-Iron Man. Um, it was, he hasn't done much great post-Iron Man. I would say the one would be, what is the actual name of it? Is it The Judge? Is that the one he did? Uh, yeah, it's, it's the, the, the judge is the one that he did with Robert Duvall. Uh, the judge was pretty good. The judge was actually pretty good. I think he produced that movie as well. And let me see if I can bring up a poster for it here. Yeah, he, he produced it and Robert Duvall. Oh my God. Robert Duvall was good. I, if I'm not mistaken, I think Duvall got nominated for an Academy award for his role in that. I think he got nominated for Academy Award in that. Oh, you know what? Mega Chris just pointed out as well. I totally forgot about Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, I love the first Sherlock Holmes movie. I love the first Sherlock Holmes movie. So there's that one too, but I would also say uh, The Judge. And actually, let me just double check this. Did he get nominated for that? I cannot remember. Hold on a second. Um, Awards. Okay, so The Judge got nominated... Yeah, it got nominated for one award, and that was for best performance by an actor in a supporting role for Robert Duvall. And Robert Duvall was crazy, crazy good in that. Like, nutty, nutty good. It's so good. Anyway, that's what I would say to that. Thanks for the question, Empire. All right, next up. BK Dan writes, John. I wanted to bring to everyone's attention that today, I think BK actually sent this in over the weekend. I wanted to bring to everyone's attention that today would have been Lucille Ball's 110th birthday. She was owner slash operator of the first studio to, to produce Star Trek, uh, Desi Lu, first season, and, and one half of season two. You know what? Everybody, we got that new movie coming out about Lucille Ball with Nicole Kidman. And people forget because none of us were alive or at least most of us watching this show weren't alive when like uh Lucille ball w- was, was coming out and the, the, when she was huge at that time, a woman being truly powerful in Hollywood was almost unheard of. I mean, we've come a long way. Lucille ball changed the game in a lot of different ways, in a lot of different ways. And her place in Hollywood history is forever cemented. And I can't wait to see this Nicole Kidman thing uh, coming out about that. Anyway, thanks for sharing that BK. All right. Uh, RM writes, uh, hi, Kim. Obviously Kim's not here today. Robert Meyer, Burnett and John. I absolutely love suicide squad. So glad the fun is back in entertainment. I'm glad you liked it, man. Yeah. I absolutely loved it too. Absolutely. Fantastic. Just a great cinematic experience. And I'm glad you had a good time, dude. All right. BK Dan writes, John, Dungeons and Dragons question. When did you start playing? I started 1984, which makes me old. I'm not going to say how old, though. LOL. Yeah, I probably started playing D&D. I'm going to guess probably around 86. I think around 86. I was probably 13 or 14 at the time. And I'll never forget my first Dungeons and Dragons character was a wizard that I named Zap. I mean, look, I was a kid. I wasn't very creative, okay? Uh, I created my wizard, and his name was Zap the Wizard. I still remember it. I still remember my character sheet and everything, but yeah, that's... And I still play it to this day. What game can you say you were playing when you were 14 that you're still playing today? Not a lot. Not a lot. Uh, All right, next up. uh, Suthius writes... If I may, this isn't a spoiler. Idris' character in The Suicide Squad says the word Dim Mac. Sound familiar? That's right. Frank Ducks, uh, ha- or Dukes had to perform it upon entering the Kumite ring for the first time. Uh, that's in the movie Bloodsport. Second time I've ever heard this phrase in my in any movie. I'll tell you what. I have seen Suicide Squad. I do not remember him saying Dim Mac, which again, the character's name is Bloodsport. So if you referenced... Something from the movie Bloodsport that would be pretty cool, but I do not remember that. I don't remember him saying that in uh, in Suicide Squad. But when I watch it again, I will keep my ears open for that because that's actually pretty nice little connection there. If they did, all right. BK Dan uh, writes in: John Clint Eastwood got bought up as got brought up as as an old actor. Betty White is still active acting at ninety nine years old. Yeah, Betty White. It's just not a national treasure. She is a planetary treasure. Betty White is just an absolute planetary treasure. And again, if you guys have not seen The Proposal, I think that's the name of the movie, with uh, Sandra Bullock and Ryan Reynolds. One of my favorite rom-coms ever. Betty White is so freaking good in that. Actually, she's so great in that, but she's also great in this little horror movie, this little horror comedy movie called Lake Placid um, about the giant alligator she's great in that but those are two more modern more modern-ish things that you should check out the proposal fantastic and lake uh lake placid also really great two great little betty white things there for you all right next up uh ben bangs writes Uh, Hey, John, I keep a master list of monthly obligations right on my desktop and I do cancel and rejoin all of them, but I used to be the one paying for others. I also agree with your rant about low quality movies from streaming services. Rock on John and co. Yeah, so we were talking the other day about like one of the whole ideas about the streaming service is that they get you signed up for a streaming service or any kind of monthly subscription plan, movie theaters, streaming loot boxes, whatever. The thing is they rely on a lot of people just forgetting that they're paying for them. I have a bunch of lists that I probably still pay for monthly that I don't even use anymore. And I think a lot of people are like that. From gym memberships to music subscription services to whatever. It's just we easily forget about them. And I can't even, I don't even want to think about how much money I waste every month um, on, on services, even if they're really cheap. But I don't even want to think about what the total number of dollars is that I waste per month on monthly subscriptions that I don't even actually use anymore. I can't even imagine it. Can't even imagine it. All right. Uh, Dirk Brumer writes, hey, John and crew. Is it just me or does Bad Batch's Omega look at least a bit like a stylized young version of Brie Larson? Your thoughts. Greetings from Germany. Well, Dirk, here's the thing. I don't watch Bad Batch. I watched the first three or so, maybe four, at least three, but maybe four episodes uh, of Bad Batch. I actually quite enjoyed the series premiere. I really, I liked the first, the first episode. I enjoyed the series premiere, but after that, it just got very uninteresting for me. And so I kind of tapped out and I stopped watching it. And I don't remember there being a character Omega up until the point that I watched it. And so I cannot say, yeah, I I cannot say that uh, whether it does or does not look like a young Brie Larson because I haven't watched it up to the point where Omega shows up. So can't really answer that. Sorry about that, Dirk. I wish I could give you an answer, but I don't. You guys in the live chat, does Omega, those of you who watch Bad Batch, does Omega look like a young stylized version of Brie Larson? Leave your thoughts in the description. All right, next up. Katniss Everdreams writes, John. Well, I am excited to see a a new movie set in the Hunger Games world of Panem. I will say the book, A Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, was boring and not well-received. It will need some serious adaptation to make it a good story. Still excited. Yeah, we talked about this on on the last show that we did, that of course... In 2022, they're going to start shooting the next Hunger Games movie that is a prequel set around the rise of President Snow from a young man to becoming, you know, the guy, the villain that we know him to be. And it's going to be called A Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, which is an absolutely horrible, horrible title. Horrible title. Awful. Uh, and, and you know, we talked the other day about, listen, I when when the Hunger Games movies came out, there was a pop cultural buzz surrounding hunger games. Like a lot of people were excited about hunger games. Even those who weren't excited about, you could feel the buzz for it. I don't sense any hunger. No pun intended. I don't sense any hunger for more hunger Games stuff today. I just, I just don't. So I, yeah, we'll see. Not to mention the title songbirds and snakes, not catchy. Not, not something that rolls off the old tongue. Not, I mean, ultimately, the title won't determine whether or not the movie's good. I'm just saying it's a bad title. That's, that's all I'm saying. It's a bad title. All right, next up. Empire 1980 writes, which, which everything going on, you probably meant with, with everything going on with Disney and Scarlet, uh, what's going to happen to Tower of Tower? I've never heard of that. Uh, the Disney movie she signed on to be in. Uh, I a little excited to see it only because I grew up on the original movie, Kristen Dunst and Steve Guttenberg. I, I'm i going to be honest with you. I'm not really sure what it is we're talking about. I'm not really sure what it is we're talking about. Oh, Dr. Peppers is saying Tower of Terror. Okay. Tower of Terror. Okay. Sorry, Tower of Tower? I don't know what Tower of Tower is. All right, thank you guys in the live chat for throwing that in there. I would Listen, business is business. They might be arguing and fighting over one project, that doesn't mean they can't do fulfill another obligation to each other. But look, both of them, look, they've already signed a contract for it, right? But both of them can just get in touch with each other and say if they want, look, you we don't like each other. So how about we both agree to cancel our contract over this other movie? They could do that, but I don't know. I suspect, look, business is business. You can't make it personal. And you may be arguing over a legal matter of financial compensation over one project you worked on, but Disney has made a lot of money with Scarlett Johansson, and Scarlett Johansson has made a lot of money with Disney. And so they, I could totally see them still falling through. Now the one caveat to that is, you know how I said it's business is business; it's not personal. Disney kind of made it personal with their with their idiotic, brain dead. What fucking moron drafted that response? And fire their ass immediately. Response when they outed her salary for the movie, and they started to try to try to draw comparisons to pandemic, and they called her sad, and all this kind of stuff. Okay, whatever fucking moron drafted that needs to be fired and never work in this business again, Bob Chapek. Anyway, um, I'm not going to go off on that whole thing again. But if they can get past that, business is business. Scarlet can still make money with Disney and Disney can still make money with Scarlet. And at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. So it could ruin those plans, but I wouldn't be surprised if they move forward with it and still fulfilled their, uh, their other deals. All right, next up. Empire 1980 also writes, the whole drama going on inside Disney isn't the first time this has happened. When Michael Eisner, that was not a great experiment. When Michael Eisner ran Disney, he almost destroyed it until he got the boot and Bob Iger took over. Yeah, a lot of people forget that. A lot of people forget that when Bob, it's not like Bob Iger came in and took over this well-oiled, fully firing an all-cylinders machine in Disney. They were facing a lot of very difficult challenges, in part to Michael Eisner's lack of historically great run as the CEO of Disney. So when Bob Iger stepped in, he had a lot of challenges to face. Bob Iger took that company and he turned it into the crown jewel of the entertainment industry. That's what Bob Iger did. And seeing how badly Disney has been managed since he stepped back as CEO, he said he stepped out of the CEO role is startling. And I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see what happens moving forward. But anyway, good, good for you to bring up that little context there, Empire. All right, Colby writes, hey, John and Rob, just miss Rob. Have you, the, have you seen the I am number no. four film? I have seen it. If so, what are your thoughts on it? And is it possible we'll get a sequel somewhere down the line? No, we're not going to get a sequel to I am number no. four. For two very important reasons. Number one, I am number four completely bombed. Uh let me just bring it up the box office here. I am number four box office it completely flopped uh I believe it made it made less than 200 million worldwide yeah here it is it made 149 million dollars worldwide like worldwide 149 million dollars so it did not do what they expected it didn't lose a lot of money because it would only cost like 50 or 60 million to make but still it just the audiences weren't interested in it uh but more importantly than that today uh this was a movie that came out. What? How many years ago did this come out? What was the release date on this? Came out ten years ago. Oh my god, that's hard to imagine. Ten years. Ten years. Now I will. I thought I am number four was okay. It was all right. It was all right. A lot of people didn't like it though. Um. Here's while I'll, I'll always remember it though. Now, one of Anne's favorite celebrities is Zach Efron. Total one of her favorite celebrities is Zach Efron. And what happened was that the girl who starred in uh I Am Number Four. Uh I am number four. The girl who starred in it, um, what is her name again? She was in Warm Bodies. Teresa Palmer. That was her name. She was in Warm Bodies, and she was in, uh, I forget what else she was in. Anyway, Teresa Palmer, I really like her. So anyway, Teresa Palmer, this is a long story for a very minor point I'm making, but indulge me. So Teresa Palmer was the female lead of the movie, and she was really good friends with Zac Efron. So the studio invited me to this special screening of I Am Number 4, an early screening, and they invited the director and the cast of the movie were there. And then they had this little after party afterwards, right? So Zach Snyder or Zach Efron, I should say, was at the after party. Now, I had recently, not long, a couple of years before that, I had done this really good interview with Zach Efron for his movie, um, Me and Orson Welles. By the way, if you want to know how good of an actor Zach Efron is, don't just watch Greatest Showman because he's great in that. Also go watch this little movie he did with Claire Danes called Uh, me and Orson Welles is fantastic. Anyway, long story short, I, so I'm at this after party and I go up to Zach and Anne sees Zach Efron's here. Oh my God, Zach's not in I Am Number Four. He was just there hanging out with Teresa Palmer. And she's like, Zach Efron's here. I go, here, come on, let me introduce you to Zach Efron. So I go over to him and this made me a fan of Zach Efron forever because it had been a year or two since I had last interviewed him. And I go, excuse me, Zach. And he turns around and goes, oh, hey, John. And I'm like, which by the way, I'm with Anne, right? As he turns around and says, hey, John. And I'm like, inside, I'm like, oh my God, this is making me look so good in Ann's eyes right now. I look so cool in Anne's eyes right now. Because Zach Afron just turned around, looked at me and said, oh, hey, John. Probably cemented her feelings for me forever at that point. So thank you, Zac Efron, wherever you are for that, making me look so good in Anne's eyes. So Efron turns around and he says, oh, hey, John. And I say, hey, uh, I just wanted to introduce you to my wife. Uh, this is Anne. And he was so gracious and so nice to her. And it just put, so I'm like, you know me, guys, right? If you, you put a smile on my wife's face, if you put a smile on Anne's face, I will be in your corner forever. Like if, if you put a smile on my wife's face, you are in my good books forever. And so he was so nice to Ann and it totally made her day. And uh, I will always be a uh, Zach Efron fan. I, and I was legitimately a fan of his already because I loved him in me and Orson Welles. But I, at that point was like, I'm going to be a Zach Efron fan forever because he made my wife smile. Because he was so nice to my wife. Anyway, so a little bit, a little bit of a Zach Efron there. Sorry. But unfortunately, I am number four. No, I never see. Maybe someday, um, maybe someday they would release, they might do a remake of it. Someday I could see them maybe doing a remake of it. But a sequel to it, no. Uh, that that time is sadly come and gone. That time has sadly come, uh, come and gone. All right, next up. Uh, We got Dan V who writes, I'm just curious, John, have you read the Chronicle two script by Max Landis? I never did read it. No, I mean, somebody offered to send it to me, but I mean, they're not going to make it. So I had felt no, no desire to read it. Anyway, the Chronicle two script by Max Landis called martyr. Uh, He discussed it years ago, how it was too dark for Fox and it was passed over. Matt ends up being prominent from the first one. And that interests me, not just a new group, Uh, yeah, not just a new group. The lead of martyr was a woman named Miranda with Matt showing up later. Matt helps the government since he went public where he saves people and tries to figure out where the powers came from. The script is very easy to find, uh, with a Google search. Yeah. And like I said, I I had somebody offer it to me before I never did. All I know is this. I wanted another Chronicle movie for years. I have wanted another Chronicle movie for years but what I never wanted was what Max Landis said about four or five years ago, what Fox wanted to make. Just basically the exact same story, you know, only this time it's a new group of kids finds this thing, discovers they have powers and how those powers start to change them. It's like we already did that movie. It's called Chronicle. Why just do it again? Carry on the story. And then the other day they announced that, you know, the producer was saying, yeah, that there is still possibly we'll do. We're, we're working on another Chronicle. And it's exactly what Max Landis said it was. It's a new group of kids who discover the, the alien thing. They get powers and they try to figure it out. It's like, what? why? Why? Just carry on the story. Why just repeat the exact same story from last time? So I have no interest in Chronicle at this point. Uh, not, the, not the new one. I love the first one, but I have no interest in this new one. All right, guys. Last question of the day. This comes to us from an anonymous viewer who writes Speaking of Army Hammer, I'm an Agatha Christie movie fan. What is Disney going to do with Death on the Nile? That's a good question, man. I know the book's story and his character is all over it. And rather important, are they waiting for the world to forget who Army Hammer is? <laughs> yeah, look, I I think right now, one of the biggest things they're wrestling with over at Disney Pictures. Besides, how do we operate with this idiot as our CEO, Bob Chapek? Um, one of their biggest things they're struggling with is what the hell do we do with Death on the Nile, the follow up thing to Murder on the Orient Express? Because Army Hammer is the lead guy. It's an ensemble movie, but he's the lead guy really in the movie. And Army Hammer, right now, his name is Mud. And, and listen, I'm not going to lie, I've always been an Army Hammer fan. I've had a chance to meet him a couple of times. He's always been very nice to me. Um, I really like him as an actor. I think he was tremendous in things like the social network. Call me by your name. I I just think the guy's a really good actor. I love seeing him on screen. I have as an actor, as an actor, I've always been a big fan of Army Hammer as an actor. But his name is Mud right now. And I'm not going to go into the whole legal thing on that. Just to say that Disney is dealing with the fact that his name is total cancer right now. So you've got this movie that's already done and you got your basically your lead guy in it is a movie you can't release. And a movie you can't market. What do you do with the movie now? You can't just shelve it. You put way too much money into it. You've got to try to get some kind of a return on it. Um, So what do you do? And I don't know. Like, do you just quietly slip it onto Disney Plus to get something out of it? Do you wait until what Anonymous just said? Wait until everybody forgets who Army Hammer is and then put the movie out? I I don't know, and it's it's one of those situations that I honestly don't know what the answer is. I, I do know that just putting it in a box and hiding it isn't an option. You spent too much money on the movie; you got to get some kind of return for it. You have to get something for it. But what? I I don't know. I'll be honest. I don't I don't have the answer. I don't have the answer, but what will they do with it is a really interesting question. Cause they still don't have a release date for it. It's still TBD. And it is, it is an interesting question and I don't know what they do with it, but if you guys have any ideas about what they should do with the movie, go ahead, jump down and, and don't be dumb. Like, don't be stupid and say, just release it in theaters. Anyway, L- don't be stupid. That's, that's inviting a lot of drama into your mouse house, if you're Disney, any studio, that's not the type of drama you want. You can't just move ahead and just go regular theatrical release. Just go. That's, that's just too much drama. And it's easy for us to come up with what other people should do with their money. When it's not our money on the line, like everybody's an expert about what other people should do with their money. Even though you would never do the same thing if it was your money on the line and I'm the same way. But I mean, I, I don't know what the answer is. I'll be honest, I don't know what the answer is. I really don't. They are in a predicament and it's going to be interesting to see where they go with that. Anyway, guys, that'll do it for today's installment of the John Campia show. There are still more questions to come from Dan V and Grizzlies and do not worry. Our very next video, we will pick right up where we left off. If you sent in a question, that hasn't been read yet. Don't worry. It's still coming uh, again, unless you're one of those four or five people that sent in a very, very spoiler heavy Suicide Squad question, which we just couldn't address on the show. Sorry about that. Um, Anyway, guys, thanks so much for being here. Don't forget to join me and Robert Meyer Burnett. And I'm going to see if we can get Kimberly on the show with us tomorrow, too. I'll I'll see if she's available. Anyway, join us for the show tomorrow, of course. Guys, special thank you to all you guys who did send in those live comments and questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did it. And all of us involved at the John Campus Show, thank you guys so very much for your support. Okay, guys, remember to do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.